Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Joining us on the show today is Corey Robertson. She's recognized as an expert on organizational culture and she's the founder and CEO of the Coaching Academy for Leaders. But before we get a chance to speak with Corey, it's the Leadership Hacker News. In the news today, we've got a fun and bizarre story just to put into context how crazy our biases can be. A guy who travels the New York subway dressed as a giant rat says his bizarre costume makes it dead easy to practice social distancing. Jonathan Lyon purchased on the train seats wearing his strange regalia as part of his work as a performance artist, and he says his costume is ideal for staying COVID secure. He's told us that he doesn't have to worry about what people are saying or how close they need to get because the six feet distance is just naturally happening. A video of Jonathan riding the rails dressed as Buddy the Rat went viral online with the official account of New York's Metropolitan Transport Authority joking, thank you for wearing a mask. Jonathan points out that he was wearing a surgical face mask underneath his rat face. In fact, sometimes he wears an extra face mask on top of Buddy's face. When not investing in the underground, Jonathan works in physical theatre and puppetry, as well as performing as part of a barbershop quartet, the Apple Boys. He's even done a stint with the internationally famous performance art company, Blue Man Group. But Jonathan's best known for scampering around on TikTok as Manhattan's largest rodent. He occasionally even carries a giant pizza slice to add a touch of realism to the scene. Jonathan said he created his Buddy the Rat character just over 10 years ago, and his first video showing Buddy's expedition to Times Square scored just over 70,000 views on YouTube. So good luck to Jonathan and Buddy the Rat, but the leadership lens here is quite simple. However absurd and obvious it may seem to people that a giant rat can put space between us proves that our unconscious thinking and our unconscious mindset still plays out in some simple behaviours. So the next time you see a giant rat and you think, I need to run away from it, it's probably just Jonathan. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any fun, interesting or just plain crazy stories that you'd like our listeners to hear, please get in touch. Corey Robertson is our special guest on today's show. She's a leading global expert on organizational culture, engagement and retention, particularly in the tech industry. She's also the founder and CEO of the Coaching Academy for Leaders. Corey, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. Joining us all the way from Quebec in Canada today. Absolutely. How is Canada dealing with the world and what's happening right now? <sighs> well, you know, I think uh, I think Canadians are being good Canadians, you know, trying hard to, you know, limit the spread of COVID-19, trying to keep a great attitude, you know, and just trying to keep the world turning, you know, doing our part to, to get through this together. 
Good stuff. So tell us a little bit about your journey, Corey, from where you started out to then running and leading and coaching and inspiring others. Great question. Um, I started with a degree in communication studies, actually, and uh, I entered the workforce and I was just so excited. I just it was my dream come true to, you know, get out and start working and making my mark on the world. And I started realizing very quickly in that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. You know, I was really looking forward to, you know, working with great leaders and being great colleagues. And in retrospect, I realized what was really lacking for me was, was strong leadership, visionary leadership. And so I moved uh, from uh, from advertising into project managing events, which I really, really enjoyed and took a break from that when my husband had an opportunity to move abroad and we had a small child at the time. And then when we got abroad, another baby was on the way and I wanted to go back to my events business, but I didn't have a network. And so I decided I was going to build one. So I started this business called the Elvitham Heath Business Network, and Elvitham Heath was the name of the village we lived in. And the business grew and grew and grew. And what ended up happening was, is I, I took all of my work experience that I had had from, you know, from advertising. I did some, I did some time in magazine publishing, and of course there was the events. And I realized that these skills were really important for my business network. So before you know it, I'm publishing a magazine for, you know, full of articles written by my clients, and, um, you know, giving really great advertising opportunities. I'm organizing trade shows. I'm hosting networking events and giving public speaking opportunities to my clients. And three of my clients were business coaches and two of them became really good friends. And one of them lent me his material from this training school that he went to to become a coach. And he lent me the material on Friday afternoon, two, two great big, huge binders, because in those days we still <laughs> we still received our learning material in paper and not e-files. There's no Zoom then. There was no Zoom. There was no digital files. Our business network actually had one of the first websites that anyone had had seen. Nobody had really gotten hooked on websites yet. It was still pretty new. And I realized from clients who were coaches, what I've learned from them is that most people, although they're asking for advice, as though they reach out and they ask for help, they don't really need advice. And this is really where the coaching magic comes in, as, as you know. People already have so much information, so much education, so much experience, so much creativity and intelligence that they don't need mine. They don't need yours. They don't need anybody else's. They need somebody to help coax it out of them. And that's what coaching is. So when I discovered coaching as a profession in Canada, coaches were sports coaches, not life coaches or leadership coaches or corporate coaches. So it was brand new to me. And I was just it was a catalyst for me. I realized, ah, oh, this is really, really exciting stuff and such a great opportunity to be a part of. Awesome. I had a very similar experience, actually. It kind of gets hold of you, doesn't it? When you can unlock the potential in others through just conversation and great communication, it's almost alluring, isn't it? And you just want more of it and more of it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, as you know, I, I, I train coaches, I, I mentor aspiring coaches, and I, 
I always tell them, I said, there's going to come a time when you witness somebody's aha moment and you will never be the same again. Yeah, I feel very privileged in having done that several occasions, if not more than several occasions. And and it's a very intimate experience, isn't it? And one that I'm, you know, particularly cherish. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then you think, this is my blessing. This is my career. You know, people come to me and they allow me to hold space and bear witness to their transformation. Yeah. And it's so special because it's not from me. I didn't tell them anything. I didn't give them anything that they didn't already have. Just held the space open long enough and wide enough for them to see it for themselves. So what's the key focus that you're working with your clients on right now? Bringing coaching into cultures as as the leadership style. You know, not just doing coaching, you know, oh, you know, maybe I'll try a, try my coaching hat for this problem. No. My main focus with my clients right now is bringing in coaching as the primary and fundamental culture of an organization and supporting leaders in developing coaching as their leadership style and not just a leadership yeah. trick or tip. I did my master's degree on coaching and what I observed through my research is that the higher the leaders became in their organizational hierarchy to the C-suite, the less they coached, but the more they recognized the need for it. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of help people through that journey? Well, that's a that's an interesting one, you know, and sometimes I think that the higher people go, the the more they feel that their value, the value that they deliver comes from imparting their knowledge and their experience and providing the solutions and thinking quickly and coming in and making things better. And that's where they feel that they're providing value and that's where they feel they're being measured and judged and so on and so forth. But you know, as well as I do, that the higher people go, the more they have to take on that servant leadership approach and the coaching approach becomes even more effective. So when I encounter that, you know, when I encounter that people are getting in their own way, it's just a a matter of reminding, you know, that the coaching approach is really powerful and not to forget that. And then work through it. You know, in my, my coaching conversations, I always ask my clients, you know, bring, bring something real to the conversation, you know, come ready to talk about what's going on in your day to day right now, this morning, or what's happening this afternoon that you need to prepare for. When people are um, dealing with hypotheticals and what would I do if, and what if this should happen? It's less, it's less effective because it's, it's fiction. Definitely is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Communication cuts through all of the work you do now. So having studied that as a kind of a, a foundation, I should imagine that you're drawing on that all the while. So right the way through organizational culture, leadership development, and coaching. How have you noticed communication shift this year particularly? Hmm. I think there's a big shift in that people don't have their water cooler time. You know, they don't have that few minutes before the meeting where everyone's gathering and you know, sitting around the table waiting for everyone to arrive. The energetic connection between people is is weaker now. So it makes communication harder. You know, when you, when you can't be with a person in their daily interactions, it's, mm. it's much, much more difficult for people to connect. Yeah. And I think people are struggling with that. I like the way you frame that, that kind of energy connection, but that's exactly what it is. Because people have this perception that communication is verbal or nonverbal, but there is this kind of a sensory communication that we miss as well, isn't there? 
I think so. I think so. And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of coaching happens over the phone. So my practice hasn't really changed all that much because I, I was home-based before. The only thing that really changed is the training program, which is used to be all in person, but now it's online. But when you're aware of energy, and I, I really want to take a minute to, to flesh this out, you can still establish a, an intuitive connection over the phone or over, um, you know, a, a video conference of some kind. It's just a matter of being aware of your intuition and a really, a, you can hear a person's body language through the telephone. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. have to see, yeah. you don't have to watch their eye movements. You don't have to be judging. Are they crossing their arms and legs? Are they, you know, are they, uh, I don't know, uh, pacing around the room? You, you can feel that energy beyond your eyes and your ears. And I think that is probably where leadership needs to go next is tapping into this, this ability to read energy through intuitive connection. And I know, you know, people might be thinking, oh my God, this is so woo woo. I don't want to listen to this, but it's intuition is, you know, it is part of the human capacity. You know, we used to wor use words like gut instinct, you know, and that was accepted language, right? So it's the same thing. We can tap into energetic connections through intuition if we pay attention. And it's a skill set that you can learn and you can practice and you can get good at. It's also scientific too, isn't it? So, you know, intuition is a reaction in our nervous system caused by are scanning thousands and thousands and thousands of unconscious events where we're observing maybe only one or two things happening in front of us consciously, but the unconscious mind does this scan of all of the different experiences, how people breathe, how people speak, their tonality. Mm -hmm. And it's that gut, that gut feel is caused by shifting dopamine in our brain. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, as coaches, it's that paying attention to it that's most important, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm so glad, you know, to hear scientific explanations behind these things that are so, have been so intangible and so therefore dismissed. But you're right, you know, brain study, you know, studies of the brain and neuroscience and neurobiology, it's really starting to prove that, you know, how, what intuition is and how it works and, and why it works. So, you know, when we're, when we're tuned into these things, when we're paying attention, and, you know, I'll tell you a little story. When I first started uh, my coaching studies, I was on, um, I went to Coach U and Coach U is an international school and it was all done online and over the phone. And so our classes were all telephone based and our, you know, reading material was, uh, our tests and such were all online. And that was a long time ago. You know, when you think I, I, I started in 2004. So that was really pre, <laughs> pre this world that we're living in where everything's online. And our practice groups were with people from all over the planet. And I was having my turn to, to coach and my uh, colleague who, when she was doing her turn to be the client, she was in New Zealand and I was here in Quebec. And I asked her a question and she went silent. And as you know, one of the coaching skills that we, we learn to master is the technique of holding the silence where we, we just let silence be for as long as it needs right. to be without the rush to fill in more words and more questions and more explanations, just be in the silence. So in the silence, I started to cry. Wow. That's pretty prolific, isn't it? Yeah. 
so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on with me right now? I'm in the middle of a class. I'm supposed to be coaching this colleague, client of mine, and she's going to start talking again, and I'm going to be a mess. And so I'm thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? And then when she starts talking again, she's crying. And she realized she was crying because I asked her such a profound question. It was an epiphany for her. And I thought, here I am in Quebec and she's in New Zealand. And we were so intuitively and energetically connected that I took on her, her emotions and felt them myself. That's an amazing story. Oh, it's, you know, and when you start noticing, you know, I had a client uh, just uh, a few months ago. He's telling me this story. He's so angry. Something had happened at work. He was just so angry. And he said, Corey, so as he's, as he's talking to me, I'm starting to feel this terrible stomach ache come over me. And I think I'm going to have to get off this call. Like if I don't get this pain under control, I'm going to have to go. And he said, Corey, I'm so mad. He said, I feel like I've been punched in the stomach. Wow. You see, so these two stories are examples of how we can be intuitively and energetically connected with another person. The gentleman I was talking about, he was in another province in Canada and we we're over the landline and the, my, um, my classmate in New Zealand, again, we were on landlines, you know, so it, it exists and it happens. And it's not just me, as you know, you felt it too. Sure. You, you have this wonderful scientific explanation for why it happens. And I think it's where we really need to go with leadership right now in communication is this ability to use our intuition as a communication skill. And there may be folks that are listening to this thinking, ah, it's just not me, I can't do that. But of course, this is about practice. Mm -hmm. And as coaches, we practice thousands and thousands of hours over our careers. And the more you observe, we put that to the unconscious part of our mind, but we intuitively then can recognize it. Because we've, mm -hmm. we've seen it happen somewhere before, which gives us that nudge to ask more intuitive questions and more exploratory questions or more profound thinking and questions. Mm -hmm. One of the key things that you help people with as part of your coaching practice is the whole principle of organizational culture. Mm -hmm. For those people who may be not familiar with what organizational culture is, how would you frame it? So organizational culture is really how do the values that we share as people in this company, how do they show up in our behavior? So that's really the short, short explanation of it. So how do we treat each other? How do we dress? How do we treat the property? You know, uh, you know, the desks and the, you know, office supplies and things. What is the decor like? You know, all of these things represent culture. Do we speak quickly, you know, or do we speak slowly? Do we have a lot of meetings? Do we, uh, how do we handle, how do we treat people when a mistake is made? How do we promote people? What do we value in the way people uh, produce their work? So all of these things lead to what the organizational culture is. Great summary. Thank you for providing a bit more context for, for folk on that. I love that. In order to then think about what's happened this year during the pandemic, wherever you are in the world, however intense it's been for you or not, how do you think that organizational culture might shift because of it? Hmm. That's a really good question. So I think cultures are shifting because we've had a, there's, there's a couple of really, really amazing things 
that have happened. So for one thing, things that were de deemed impossible and so impossible, they were unspeakable before COVID-19 all of a sudden became possible, namely work from home. You know, so the call centers for banks, for example, impossible, impossible. There's no way, yeah. you know, call center employees from banks can ever work from home within a week. They were working from home. So I think cultures might be shifting in one way to see, you know, to acknowledge that what we always said was impossible isn't impossible. So I think cultures are going to be opening up to a lot more capacity for innovation, you know, and tackling what was deemed to be the impossible or tackling rules or norms that were just never discussed before because it was just always that way. So now I think we realize we don't have to live with things just because it was always that way. It wasn't working. And some of those rules that you talk about, they're often applied because that's how we know we can do things. And the rules and belief systems that we had prior to the pandemic said, this is how we do things. And I guess as a result of being thrust into something that we thought perhaps wasn't possible 10 months ago, now creates the capacity to unlock new thinking, new innovation. Would that be a kind of fair summation? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way of putting it, yeah. Great. One of the things you've been really big on in your career is that whole how you coach people and how you help organizations to retain their top talent. And one of the things I'd love to get into with you is just this whole principle about how people are going to feel more valued because of what they've been through, but also how people might, particularly the talent end of the spectrum, might use this as an opportunity to jump if they don't feel valued. What's your uh, take on that? Yeah, so I think that's always been the case. I think it's much more prevalent now. It's much more obvious now. The war on talent has been something we've been talking about. You know, I've been talking about it for at least 10 years and trying to explain. There was a saying that, you know, in the, uh, I think it was the 80s where they said companies used to expect employees to prove their worth to the organization. And now it's the other way around where organizations are having to prove their worth to the employee. And the war on talent has been such a, such a hot topic of discussion in my field. And I'm sure you've heard it as well. I think to attract and retain talent these days, I really do think people are looking for cultures where they feel that, you know, there's the, the movement for psychological safety, you know, so where people feel that they can speak out, they can, they won't be mocked or belittled because of their ideas or their values. They'll be able to make mistakes, you know, without fear of, you know, serious repercussions. You know, I think it's important people feel you know, to, to, again, to attract, attract and retain top talent, the whole piece around being developed, you know, people want to be seeing and feeling how they're learning and growing as human beings, you know, and this is not just a new idea. You know, you could just look back to, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we see that the need to, you know, be connected to colleagues, to feel respected and appreciated for our work and the need to be yeah. growing and learning as a human being. Those are the top three things on the, on the hierarchy of needs after safety and security. They're not nice to haves, they're need to haves. And organizations who can 
understand that and provide for that will be the ones who will be able to retain their talent and keep them from jumping ship. There's also been a big shift too culturally over the last 20 years as our baby boomers and our generation x are heading towards the more senior twilight years of their careers mm -hmm. and in the next 10 or 15 years most ceos running the business are likely to be at the very least gen y and in some cases some gen z mm -hmm, colleagues mm -hmm. too and that plays out too doesn't it when you start thinking about developing talent and expectations it, it certainly does. It certainly does. You know, the things that people care about are changing. And I was just uh, doing some research the other day on the, the Gen Z. And one of the most important values for this young, so Gen Zs are now just finishing up university. They're just entering the workforce. They need transparency. They have no patience for being left in the dark. They have no patience for uh, lies or miscommunications. They 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 want it clear and <laughs> they want it on the table. And I really admire that. Yeah. You know, there's so much haze and smoke and mirrors and nonsense going around. And, you know, it's so many organizations and the young folks are just like, yeah, no, you know, say it like it is, you know, I... One of my favorite expressions is say what you mean and mean what you say. Yeah. And the Gen Zs are demanding that. The Gen Z workforce that's going to be coming into play seriously in the next five or 10 years are also of a cultural upbringing where there's instant gratification. So mm -hmm. if we're not instantly gratifying their career aspirations and helping them on their personal development journeys, then they're most likely to also be impatient around how they get there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I, I'm, I'm a, a Gen Xer. I'm a Gen Xer too. Okay. Okay. Good. So what I was noticing uh, with one of my younger cohorts recently is this request for reminders, you know, this request for follow, more follow-ups. And I, I find that, you know, I'm catching myself going, wow, you know, my generation has tried so hard to reduce the number of emails and make things really clear and, you know, just say it once and then, you know, write it down in your agenda book or note it in your online calendar and then you're good to go. And so can you send me a reminder? You know, can you, can you send me that material in like three different ways? And I'm like, wow. And I'm checking myself going, well, my reaction is like, no, I'm not sending you a reminder. Write it down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the need. It's it's the way that generation is moving, you know, because I think they move so fast and everything is, you know, like that constant gratification you were talking about. It's it's the way they want to be communicated with, you know, so to be one who's always trying, you know, try to walk my talk, it's like, okay, mm. maybe I need to shift. I am the older one, yeah, <laughs> you know, but as as somebody who's adjusting to the new needs of the generations coming through. It's like, okay, I maybe have to be the one to adjust. It's great to ask those questions of yourself as well as part of that process, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I think that's how we stay relevant, right? And it's what we are asking, you know, as coaches, we're always asking people questions that cause them to reflect. So we have to do that to ourselves as well. So I saw some research recently that said over half of people that left organizations said on their exit interviews that their line manager could have prevented them from leaving, which sounds like a real shame. But what causes that? Oh, boy, there's so many, there's so many variables that, that lead up to that. So it's been proven time and time again, I'm sure you've seen this literature as well, that people don't leave their jobs. And many times they don't even leave their companies. 
right? Because you think of it, people spend many, many, many years and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars or pounds and investing in their educations. You know, they're preparing themselves for the workforce. They're studying, they're spending their money on this, they're sacrificing for their dream job and they get into the workforce. So it's not their job that they're leaving and it's not their company. You know, people go to a lot of trouble to choose their companies and to apply and to prepare themselves to be the right fit for the organization. It's the boss that they leave. It's their direct manager. So people aren't leaving jobs or companies, they're leaving their bosses. And it's an old adage, but it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. It's so true. And it's not because, very often, it's not because the boss isn't technically competent at his or her job. They often got promoted because they were technically competent. It's because they don't have leadership skills. Right. And that takes us full circle, right back to helping raise awareness and self-awareness of leaders so that they can impact the culture, so that their talent, when they come into the workforce, can be nurtured in the right way. And it's then a positive experience versus a, a negative experience. Absolutely. You know, and, and there are so many important parts of being a manager. And I always say that, you know, I compare, you know, in, in the, the human interaction to something like the, the way the computer works. And I'll say the hardware doesn't work without the software. Yes, good analogy. like that. You know, so that's like the soft skills. You need the soft skills to get the job done. You know, you're talking to human beings. People forget, you know, we all have feelings. We all have egos. We all have hopes and dreams and fears. And those cannot be overlooked. And it takes soft skills to be able to nurture a human being through the day's work so that they can really perform, you know, without dropping the ball and, and leaving the organization. It does. It does. So now I get to turn the leadership lens on you. Mm. This is part of the show where I get to hack into your great mind from a leadership perspective. And I'd love for you to share with our guests, if you could, your top three leadership hacks. Okay. So number one, leaders, keep in mind that not everybody is like you. The people who, you know, if you're out there and, you know, you're owner of a startup and your company is maturing and you've got a workforce now, you might be wondering, why isn't everybody willing to work 24-7 and be available around the clock and make this thing happen? Because not everybody has that entrepreneurial spirit. Not everybody can get an organization off the ground. And once you right. start growing to the, to the point where you have a workforce, chances are people don't even, they're not wired like you. So don't try to make them like you. Get to know yourself really well. And then from your self-awareness, start becoming aware of others and then work towards fulfilling their needs. And that's how you're going to turn it around and ignite passion for the organization and the organizational goals. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I would suggest to leaders to get curious. You know, we were talking about this a little bit before, but get curious about what's going on for people, what's going on in their right. minds. You know, when they come into your office and they've got something on their mind that they want to talk to you about, don't be so quick to jump in and give answers and advice and tell them what to do. Ask questions. And you'll see that once they, they see that you're genuinely curious and you're approaching 
the situation with, you know, conversational curiosity, they're really going to open up and you will have the opportunity to witness the brilliance and the potential in that other person. They don't need, they already know that you're brilliant. <laughs> they already know yeah. that it's your turn now to get curious and figure out what's brilliant about them. It's going to make them feel great and it's going to unleash their potential and their energy and their engagement and role. And my third hack is if people are delegating up, you know, giving responsibility back to you or not being able to move forward on things without coming to check with you. Is this what you want? Is this the way you like it? Give me some ideas. If, if that kind of upwards delegation is occurring on your team, you probably haven't done my first two hacks. Yeah, true. Yeah. So if people are delegating up back to you and you feel that they, they're not moving ahead, I would ask you to check your soft skills and your coaching skills because they're stuck. And it probably starts with coaching too, doesn't it? Well, you know, you're, you're a coach talking to a coach. <laughs> we, we are speaking, we are speaking to the, to the converted between us, aren't we? Absolutely. And, you know, to me, it's Mecca, you know, it is the answer to everything. If you want, if you want to solve all of your organizational problems, just bring in a coaching culture and, you know, so many things will be better because of that. Very true. I guess that's hack number four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, that could be even a new show, right? Oh, absolutely. What a great idea. So the next part of the show, our listeners have become affectionately accustomed to, which is what we call hack to attack. So this is a time in your life or your work where something's screwed up. It just hasn't worked out as planned. But as a result of the experience, you use it as a positive in your life. What would be your hack to attack? Oh, boy. Um, my hack to attack would be to slow down. You know, if I think back to who I was or what I was like when I was 21, I was in a, in a huge rush. You know, if, I'm, if I don't get this done by the time I'm 23, oh my God, my, my career is going to be a disaster. Oh my goodness, I'm 24 and I haven't got this. So I think in rushing like that or feeling rushed like that, it causes, it causes a stunted type of energy. And so if I were to go back, you know, if I were to bump into myself at 21 on the street, I would say, don't worry, take it in stride, learn from everything, take it all in. And then everything good or bad, right or wrong, it's all another, you know, brick in the foundation. You know, it's, it's absolutely amazing when you look back, you know, 20 something years later and go, yep, you know what? Even, even the painful things, even the embarrassing things, even the expensive things, they've all led to now. And I can use every single one of those mistakes and embarrassing moments and lost investments. I can say hand to heart, they, they, they serve me well in this moment and they allow me to be a better coach, more empathetic, more compassionate, more experienced, gentle person. That's awesome, Corey. And I guess you know our show better than everybody else because the next part of our show would be to jump into giving yourself advice at 21 and you've just done it, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, an advocate we have in you. So I appreciate that. Mm. So final part of our show, we get to uh, 
help our listeners connect with you, find out a little bit more about the work that you're doing with the Coaching Academy for Leaders. Uh, where's the best place for our listeners to come and find you? Well, I can be found at CoreyRobertson.com, which is my website address. I'm also on LinkedIn, same, Corey Robertson. And I have a Facebook page called Corey Robertson Alive from 9 to 5. And anyone who's interested in becoming a coach, I am a coach trainer. I have um, my program is accredited by the International Coach Federation. So whether you are interested in using coaching as a leadership style in your day to day at work, or whether you would like to someday start your own coaching practice, I can definitely talk you through. We can have a conversation to see if you know, coaching as a profession is right for you. And if it is, then I can point you in the right direction. Brill. And we'll make sure that all those links are in our show notes as well so that folk can click on straight away. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. You're very welcome. Hey, Liz, it's been super to connect with you. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Well, you know, uh, I'm just so excited about, you know, moving. You know, at first I did not want to move my training practice, my coach training practice online. I, I, so many people suggested it to me over the years and oh, you can go global. And I, I don't want to, I, I want to go in person and be with my, be with my people. And now forced to, I went online. I'm thinking, wow, my online program is fantastic. I've made so many improvements. So I think what's next, the next wave is going to be for people like yourself and myself who available online. Now we're going to have to go back out into the world probably next year and create yet another hybrid of what is the perfect blend between the online piece, which I think is here to stay. I think I've, I, for one, made a lot of improvements because of the online piece and then to take the best of both worlds. So what was great about the in-person and now what is great about the online and then marry the two. So I think that's what's <laughs> Good. Not much work to do there. <laughs> no. Well, you know what? Between midnight and 3 a.m., we have nothing to yeah, exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Figure that Sleep out. Sleep is overrated. Oh, totally. Anyway, listen, on behalf of our listeners, Corey, thanks for joining us on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Wish you every success with what happens next mm-hmm. in your world. But thanks for being on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And, you know, best wishes for health and happiness to, to you and all the leaders and all the listeners out there. Thanks, Corey. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.